when we cross the chasm and get to mainstream adoption, the concept of telling someone that you're in the metaverse or that you're using NFTs, like, oh, this is my NFT that I'm using in the metaverse. If we're still talking like that, that means that we haven't gained mainstream adoption. Hi, everyone. This is Growing Web 3, a podcast that uncovers the growth stories behind the most successful crypto, DeFi, DAO, NFT, metaverse and play to earn ecosystems. I'm your host, James RT, and each week I'll be sitting down with founders and experts on Web3 to pick their brains and learn about their growth stories. We'll discuss strategies and tactics to understand how they've grown Web3's billion dollar protocols and communities. So whether you're in the midst of your own growth story or just getting started, this show is for you. Subscribe and join us each week as we discuss growing Web3. Growing Web3 is brought to you by Hype Partners, the leading community management and marketing agency for Web3 organizations. Hype is a global agency of 120 marketers committed to supercharging Web3 ecosystems. Go to www.hype.partners to learn more. Hey everyone, welcome to Growing Web3. I'm super excited today to have Brian with me. He is the Metaverse lead at Polygon Studios, which is a super awesome title and also the co-founder of Barata. Great to have you with us, Brian. James, thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, I thought we could kick off uh, by learning a little bit about your story, your background, how you, how you got into the space and how yeah, what led you to become working at Polygon leading the metaverse. Yeah, it's always great to get the origin story, I guess, from everyone in this space. So a few archetypes emerge, I feel, though at the margins and you know, the, the, the more in the weeds you get, everyone has a unique story. Um, I guess I'll, I'll go back to the beginning in 2017. Um, I was trend forecasting, uh, and that's to say I was standing in front of the C-suite of multinationals, um, explaining to them what the kids were getting into. Uh, I had a fashion background, I had sold my retail store and my brand that I had launched in Manhattan uh, in 2016. And I was sort of fumbling around trying to find meaning in my life when I stumbled upon Ethereum uh, and it quite literally changed my life. So as I was giving these presentations, I was finding every excuse possible to cram information about the ERC-721 contract, uh, eventually to be known as NFTs, of course, um, and information on CryptoKitties in December of 2017 into all of my presentations, basically telling the C-suite of these multinationals that uh, cosmetics, in-game wearables, this idea of digitally scarce items would be really important for their business, looking at it through the lens of fashion and culture. And, uh, you know, fast forward four or five years later, uh, got deeper and deeper into Web3, launched a Metaverse Consultancy uh, with my buddy Jeff Carvalho of High Stability. Um, and was tinkering around a few DAOs, met some folks over at Polygon. This position opened up, the biz dev position um, through the, the metaverse and gaming vertical under Polygon Studios. Uh, and it was sort of a, a match made in heaven. Um, so joined the Polygon Studios team. I've, I've been here for about six months. Uh, and yeah, it's nothing short of fantastic. That's awesome. Super cool to hear. Um, I'm a massive fan of yeah, High Symbiote, so I didn't actually know that uh, your co-founder um was part of that yeah the founder of that too so very very cool 
Yeah, big shout out, big shout out, Jeff Carvalho, uh, tremendous personality in the space. Also had one of, and still has one of the largest um, clubhouses uh, in the world called Culture Club. So Jeff, I'm plugging you. Everybody follow Jeff on, on Clubhouse. Awesome. I love that. I love that. Um, so yeah, take, take me through your role now. Like I think Metaverse lead as a role, it sounds pretty amazing. We just launched our Metaverse studio at Hype. So um, it's definitely, yeah, the... I guess it's like the buzzword of the year, maybe. But um, yeah, what does it mean? What, did, what, what are you doing day to day in that role? Yeah, so it's, it's mostly a business development role. Um, it's, it's sort of a, a vertical lead in a sense that anything that touches upon the open decentralized metaverse as understood by UGC driven, that's user generated content driven virtual worlds and platforms um, will come across my desk at some point. Um, and the function that we serve through Polygon Studios is to be an onboarding engine for uh, the best projects out there, those that are endemic to Web3. So those virtual worlds who are looking to build on blockchain rails uh, and also those IP holders who are looking to tap those virtual worlds or any sort of XR, AR um, platform. Uh, whereby they could build their brand and, and leverage Web3 tools, right? So it's not uncommon that uh, a fashion brand or uh, music, entertainment, media, sport uh, comes across my desk as uh, they are looking to strategize and, and figure out how to tap certain Web3 platforms and, and metaverse products, let's call them, um, to grow their, their brands and, and sort of uh, jump into Web3 and the metaverse. Very cool. Very cool. And... Um... I mean, I think like Web3 metaverses are unique in the way that they incorporate, as you said, like a lot of Web3 tools and they need to be built on a blockchain uh, such as Polygon, Ethereum or others. Could you talk a little bit about like metaverses in general, like as a broad category and what's different between like Web2 metaverses, Web3 metaverses and what they look like? Yeah. I tried memeing into existence at one point on my Twitter and it didn't really work. The term betaverse. Um, I, everyone loves a good meme. That that was my way of trying to describe. Yeah, that that was my way of uh, trying to describe those virtual worlds and platforms that are not open, permissionless, decentralized, uh, that do not support atomic assets like fungible and non fungible tokens. So, um, if anyone's listening here, I, I know you have a, a strong uh, marketer audience. If any marketer wants to grab that cause and and throw betaverse into their tweets and their medium posts and help my cause, that'd be great. Um, but really the you know, I, I'm a disciple of, of Matthew Ball unabashedly. I, I've said that on many podcasts and I, I say that in presentations and tell clients and friends that, um, you know, Matthew's a tremendous personality in the space and a great thinker and futurologist. And, you know, we're very lucky at Polygon Studios to have him as an advisor. Um, for anyone who doesn't know Matthew, he wrote a, a series of essays, uh, a framework for the metaverse. Uh, and his book is coming out. Here I go plugging all of my friends, colleagues, associates. He lays out a framework for the metaverse uh, that I think is quite strong. And the TLDR is that it's a successor state to the mobile internet. Um, that is a, a persistent, synchronous, multiplayer internet, for a lack of a better way of putting it, really. Um, and that there are eight points on the framework. Um, some of those points on the framework are well known. Some people confuse those points for a metaverse, right? People think there are many metaverses and... Um, you know, they will say, uh, you know, Pokemon Go is a metaverse or Fortnite is a metaverse. Um, but that framework really sets up a notion that there is a single metaverse that these virtual worlds make up constellations and galaxies therein. 
um, and uh, that all component parts of that framework uh, make up the metaverse, everything from AR and VR, so that's to say hardware, straight through to networking capabilities and compute, um, interchange, that's to say interoperability, payments, uh, content, virtual worlds, user behavior, that you need all of that. And that, that last point I think is most interesting that people sometimes forget, you know, if, if, the, if the user behavior and adoption doesn't follow, you know, none of this framework really matters. We'll never have quote unquote, a metaverse. So quite important to, to note. Yeah, absolutely. That's, um, I love that. Uh, yeah, I love that Matthew is an advisor. That's, um, very cool. And so from, from what we're seeing right now, I think like. I think before we, we set up this metaverse studio hype, we started to categorize like every metaverse, right? Vertical. So we looked at like web two metaverses. I don't know if that's the right term. We need a better term for that. I just guess it's metaverses, um, but like gaming experiences. Then we have uh, like, uh, I mean, like social online experiences, like Facebook is meta. They're going to do something huge there. And then we have like, um, maybe like we call that corporate metaverses to really like dunk on them. Um, and then we have like web three metaverses. And do you see them like combining at some point? Like, are we going to see like in Fortnite or in these games, like NFTs eventually, and those like, you know, be composable across web three metaverses, or do you think they'll stay fairly separate? I think the composability part's the hard part. Uh, I take the personal view that when the genie's out of the bottle, it's hard to put it back in, meaning our kids and grandkids are going to look at us uh, with starry eyes and, and confusion and ask us how we played thousands of hours of Final Fantasy fourteen or World of Warcraft and did not own the items therein. So I, I do think that the concept of NFTs, um, as elastic as that concept can be, meaning there will be some centralized uh, platforms and, and worlds um, that will tap the energy of NFTs, but but maybe in, in a walled garden kind of way and, and not allow those NFTs to be freely transferable. I think, you know, once that energy is completely out, it'll be very hard to put it back in. And, and I think the big issue uh, for IP holders will be um, to determine just how composable and, and just how much they want to play nice with other IP. Um, I can see a world where um, those who own this IP want to see it disseminated into other worlds. So, um, you know, it, it, it stands to make sense for me um, to see a Nintendo, for instance, to want to see um, their creations elsewhere. It just, it sort of like uh, proliferates and, and, and it sort of spreads the gospel of Nintendo far and wide into other platforms. I get that. But I, but I think on the other side, uh, Nintendo, wouldn't necessarily want to see other IP come into their worlds, right? So I think there will be this tenuous relationship among IP holders um, on that concept of composability and transferability. Um, so, so I do believe over time we'll see bridges be built, connecting more walled gardens, more permissioned systems um, into more decentralized systems. But I think that over time, it's going to take quite some time for IP holders to, to really appreciate what that looks like and just how, uh, you know, just how lenient they want to be with transferability and interoperability. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is a huge challenge. Um, it's like a, it's basically like a business development challenge as well. 
I think for a lot of platforms now, they're building out partnerships with certain, certain brands, certain organizations. And yeah, it's the same with, you know, leading blockchains. Um, a lot of them have key partnerships and they've been doing great things with those IPs, but it's not making, um, you know, things any simpler for the average user when it's like, okay, now you have to download this wallet to get this thing. Oh, that's from a different blockchain. You have to download this wallet. It's, um, yeah, I think it's added a layer of complexity that maybe, yeah, wasn't, it wasn't necessarily needed yet. <laughs> yeah. All, all those layers of complexity will have to be abstracted away over time, uh, to cross the chasm. Um, you know, I, I don't, you know, we often speak about the proverbial moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, you know, if they can't use it, like how, how could it ever be mainstream? And, and I do think that those pain points, particularly wallets, as you mentioned, uh, will need to be abstracted away before we actually quote unquote, get there. Right. Absolutely. So going back to like your role, I imagine you're seeing pretty much, you know, every type of project come through. So I want to like, what kind of things are being built in the space right now? Um, and what kind of things are you seeing like early? Like, is it like tooling for metaverses? Is it like more culture-based products? Maybe it's music, NFTs, things like that. What kind of stuff are you seeing? Um, it's like growth areas at the moment. Your suspicion is correct. The, the word metaverse in my title is quite nebulous. So all sorts of projects come across my desk uh, from thinly veiled Ponzi's to fully fleshed out virtual worlds that uh, intend to be a part of this emergent metaverse. So it depends on who you ask. Uh, they'll have a different definition as we discussed earlier about metaverse. And um, that paints a picture of the, the sorts of projects that I do see. Um, th there are a few types of projects that really interest me. Um, I'm particularly interested in those smaller, they're still sandbox-like environments in a sense that you can more or less do anything within these worlds. Um, uh, these more, these more gallery-like settings that are more brand safe and brand friendly. Um, so the, the Monas, the Spatials, the OnCybers of the world, those are particularly interesting to me because I, I do think a brand can jump in headfirst, control the experience more or less. Uh, it's essentially an immersive Twitter spaces, right? It's, it's a 3D version of Twitter spaces. You can host community-driven content within these worlds. Um, so so I, I do find those to be particularly interesting. Um, and then zooming out a little bit, a cultural movement um, that I find interesting, the CC0 or the Creative Commons uh, application within the metaverse, I find to be quite interesting. Those who are tapping the energy of that, and that's to say, the forfeiture of IP or the the lack the the lack of um, copyright protection or creation really for IP at the point uh, that it's created. So when an artist creates uh, any sort of content, they they turn over uh, the copyright or the trademark to the community to the world really to do with it what they will. And one of the reasons why I find this so interesting is because the most powerful and, and everlasting stories. Um, throughout history have been those that come from folklore. Um, so, you know, from, from the Bible and the Torah and the Quran straight through to Greek and Nordic and African and, and Roman mythology, you know, the, the Knights of the Round and King Arthur, these are stories that, you know, there is no IP owned by a centralized source of which you need to, you know, acquire a license to create a story. You know, we can right here just start, you know, I don't know, James, how much time do we have? Do you want to write a King Arthur story with me right now? You know, it's, it's, it, I think the power of uh, to do that is super interesting. And when you, when you introduce this digital metaverse element to uh, 
to folklore, I, I think um, the possibilities are just absolutely endless. I love that. I love that. Um, and what do you see? What do you see of the role of NFTs in the metaverse? Do you think they're going to be this is it? This is everything, um, and the NFTs are going to you know tokenize every single item, every single bit of land, or do you think they're going to kind of be specific? to certain games and certain things like that. Do you think it's just gonna be a mad proliferation? Everyone's gonna own like thousands of NFTs in a wallet somewhere, or is it gonna be more like? Yeah, it's the, the, the fun in this is that it's all speculative and we're building that plane as we fly it and all those other corporate jargons that we can use to describe what we're doing here. But I, because it's such early days, I, I do find the speculation interesting. And I take the view that 99.9 .9, and then that nine just goes on forever percent of all NFTs that will be created have not been created yet. Um, so I do subscribe to the belief that um, we will be basically tokenizing more or less everything in digital worlds. I think over time, we'll uncover certain skeuomorphic design choices that were not the best idea in terms of what we tokenize and, and maybe we stop tokenizing certain things. Uh, so so that remains to be seen. Um, but I do take the view that uh, everything more or less will be tokenized as they exist in virtual worlds. And it's my hope also that we, we stop using the term NFT. I think there's a lot of baggage on that term. I, I think um, there's a lot of toxic energy that has been imported onto that term by those who do not use or own NFTs. Um, and, you know, when, when we cross the chasm and, and this technology has been proliferated through the mainstream, it's my hope that, you know, we look at NFTs the way that we look at physical objects in the real world. You know, we don't call everything that we own, some special term. We don't, there's no term to describe, you know, your phone, your coffee cup, your computer. Uh, they're all just things that you own and, and we don't think about them in some sort of special way. Uh, and if we're pacing towards a, a Ready Player One snow crash-like existence, no matter how short of it we fall, if that's to say, if we're spending a significant amount of time in these digital worlds, um, in these blended digital experiences where NFTs are fully proliferated and are part of that experience. Um, I think it would be reductive, silly, and strange to call items within those worlds a specialized term. They're just going to be items within those worlds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. Cool. Yeah, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. I think, yeah, NFT as a term, I mean, crypto as a term sucked. Like that got such a bad rep. I think Web3 is better. Um, I think NFT is a term. There's so, there was so much controversy around it, like two years ago, a year and a half ago, people were like, didn't know if like fungible men, non-fungible, like what the hell does this mean? Um, I think it's kind of caught on. So, but yeah, I agree. Like digital items, will, if they all become tokenized, they'll just be digital items. And like the definition of a digital item will be something you can transfer and, you know, trade, which is what it should be, right? If you kind of like, if we think about it now, like every digital item should be able to be traded and have some value, just like any normal item. Um, the fact that people put up a walled garden is, yeah, hopefully a thing of the past. You know, this this isn't a direct one-to-one -one comparison, but the energy and the culture behind it is similar. It's sort of like during web one and the early days of web two, where one would announce that they were going online. It was a process to go online. You know, you thought about it, you you dialed up on your modem, it took time. You When you were online, you were sort of like strapped into your computer, everything else offline didn't really exist. And then over time, 
I mean, we're online right now, but I would never tell someone I'm online. That's such a crazy thing. To, imagine if I was telling someone I'm online with James right now. That, that makes no sense. And there's a similar energy there with the metaverse and with NFTs. It's sort of like when we cross the chasm and get to mainstream adoption, the concept of telling someone that you're in the metaverse or that you're using NFTs, like, oh, this is my NFT that I'm using in the metaverse. If we're still talking like that, that means that we haven't gained mainstream adoption. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it'll be like you said, it's just, it'll just be like things. You'll have these digital things and they'll be just your digital things. And yeah, I think, yeah, when, when that happens, when we, when people drop like the term metaverse or yeah, NFTs, um, I think, yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be a day. So you said that we, we know it's gone mainstream. So that's super cool. Um, I have a couple more questions for you. Uh, they're like kind of just out there ones. So let's see what happens. Um, question one, which, what do you think will be the number one metaverse in five years who will have the most users, most adoption out of the metaverse that exists now? You can't say a new one. <laughs> oh, out of the ones that, because I had my answer. My answer was that it, it hasn't been created yet. That yeah, was my no, answer. That, you um, can't do that one. <laughs> so you cut me short there. Very smart man, James. Very smart. Um, it's it's so hard. It's such early days. It's so hard to say. I mean, you know, the the leaders, uh, Decentraland, Sandbox, Somnium, and Voxels. I, I feel like those are are the four um, most promising that have the largest user adoption, the widest developer base, um, the the greatest sort of connection to being as decentralized as possible at this point in time understanding that there are limitations to, you know, decentralized storage, for instance, or compute, um, you know, I would have to defer, like default into one of those just because they have the lead. Um, you know, Nifty Island is another interesting one, seeing that um, they're gearing up for their alpha and uh, Charles and the team there are just a, a fantastic team, uh, you know, and, and they really do, um, they're just a, a great decentralized product that's that's looking to play into the core ethos of being a decentralized metaverse. So um, those would be some of the the early front runners, I guess. Awesome, awesome. That's a great answer. Yeah, I I'm a big fan of Nifty Island too. I'm excited for that to launch. And yeah, uh, I think that's a fair assessment. I think I think there's a lot to be done, but um, all of them are growing in the right direction and. I think they need a couple more years to mature. It's just how it is, but um, it's all it's all looking very positive. Okay, last question is a question I ask everyone um, that comes on the show, and it's if you could be a CMO uh, for any crypto metaverse company or any company, I guess in the world, which one would you be CMO for? If I could be a CMO for any. Hmm. I would say the whoever's the most capitalized because they could pay me the most amount of money for that job. No, I'm I'm kidding. Um, Meta, you're gonna go work for Facebook. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna throw in. I'm gonna cash in my crypto anarchist chips and just be a sellout and go to Meta. No, I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Um, wow, this question is completely blindsiding me. Um, 
it, it might it might actually be Nifty Island, seeing that, you know, I absolutely love the team there. That's not to say that I don't love the team at Decentraland and uh, Sandbox, Omnium, Voxels, and, and all the other amazing projects that are that are sold, uh, that, that are sold, that are built on Polygon's rails. But maybe Nifty Island, seeing that it's the youngest um, in development of those, you know, Sandbox has been in development for over 10 yeah. years, and Decentraland has been in development for probably five or six years. Um voxels probably a few years as well so so maybe the challenge of getting in earlier um seeing that nifty island is is earlier in its development that that might be an exciting um gig to take uh also you could view them as a challenger to the decentralands and the sandboxes you know fundamentally different um um projects and you know different flavors for different folks, you know, th there will be a different user base, I think, across each of those. And I do think there's a good chance that each of those um, can play nicely together. Uh, but maybe the challenge of getting in earlier with a project like, like Nifty Island, they've also made some interesting design choices that fly in the face of um, certain best practices within uh, the metaverse. So, you know, th the idea that they do not have uh, a finite amount of scarce land that is, uh, you know, memorialized as an NFT and, and sold and freely traded. You know, the, the land sales have been so important to the marketing of these virtual worlds. Uh, maybe that's a challenge um, that I would love to, to take on. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question, James. That's super cool. Amazing. Um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. This, this episode has been packed with many many gems um if people want to keep up to date on uh yeah what's it betaverse um and other such uh things you're going to meme into existence how do they how do they get in contact with you or follow you yeah uh i'm nt bro across all social media um also make sure you follow polygon studios um i host a podcast every other week uh bi-weekly on mondays called port zero um, where we interview influential figures within the metaverse so uh, sometimes i'm i'm in james's seat i guess um so yeah nt bro polygon studios um follow us and me and james yeah this was an absolute pleasure thank you for having me anytime thanks so much Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of Growing Web 3. You can see the show notes and all the resources mentioned in today's episode at hypepartners forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening again, and be sure to hit subscribe to listen to new episodes first. Growing Web 3 is brought to you by Hype Partners, the leading community management and marketing agency for Web 3 organizations. Hype is a global agency of 120 marketers committed to supercharging Web3 ecosystems. Go to www.hype.partners to learn more.